We used to be cool, a podcast for moms. We hope you'll join us each week as we pause the craziness to remember that we're not alone and that being a mom is actually really cool. Hey guys, welcome back to We Used to Be Cool, a podcast for moms. We are um, excited. Episode eight, nine, nine. Um, and we're here tonight with our one of our very best friends, um, our family friend, Natalie West. She, um, actually served with us, our family overseas when we were missionaries. And so we've known her since she was younger than we are now, which is so crazy. Actually, Hannah and I were talking about that. You were 29 and we'll never forget it because you kept saying like, I'm not 30 yet. And And you were the coolest 29 year old we had ever met. (laughs) (laughs) And you were just, it's crazy because now we're 34 and 32. Um, But that is crazy. It is. Um, So, Natalie is here with us to talk about um, all things motherhood as usual, and so we'll just let you start, Nat, if you want to, and tell us um, who you are, where you live, and about your daughter. Yeah. I mean, you gave away how old I was when we met, but one <laughs> of my favorite I didn't say how old I was, so that that y'all people were can't do the math yet. <laughs> sixth and eighth grade. <laughs> Um, so funny. Also, you know, full disclosure, I was Van's eighth grade language arts teacher. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, you have to include that detail in our relationship. She now holds a master's degree in English and had a much longer <laughs> teaching career than I did. <laughs> it all started with you uh, though. Yeah, I take all the credit. <laughs> um, I live in Houston, where, uh, which is home. Um, my parents met in high school here in Houston, and, you know, we moved all the way from the neighborhood, um, the the area of town where they both grew up is where they bought their first house after they got married and where I was born, and we moved all the way out to the suburbs, <laughs> which was not very far um, for the rest of my growing up, and then... I mean, really, I went away to college and came right back to here, and then I went away to Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have lived um, in other parts of Texas at this point, but I, um, during COVID, um, was laid off from a ministry job that I was that I had in another town, um, where I also had a um, let's see, she was, she was like a. 10-month-old foster care placement. Um, So, yeah, Nevaeh was brought um, to me through foster care at the end of January of 2020, and I was laid off on March 18th. Wow. (laughs) Um, And I I owned a home in that town, um, and I I had been there about three years, and I um, felt like I had some good connection in the community, but then, like, global pandemic and nobody, like, oh, are you the kind of friend who is going to have people over or are you not? Do you, are you going to ask for my vaccination card? Or like, it just was hard. It was a hard thing to navigate in relatively new relationships. And then on top of that, I had a mortgage payment and no job. So before our adoption was even finalized, my parents invited me and Nevaeh in the middle of COVID to move back here to Houston to live with them. 
so that I could fill my house, um, which I did in like two days, put my house on the market. The very first people who looked at it paid what I was asking for it. And we got permission from, it felt like every state official everywhere, um, to be able to move Nevaeh to another region of our state because she was still um, under CPS um, conservatorship. Um, and we moved back to Houston. So since then, um, I adopted Nevaeh, who is now four and a half. Um, and I, I got a master's degree online while, uh, while I was sitting around being a stay-at-home mom during COVID, <laughs> and, um, which is so bizarro. Um, but now I am a director at a nonprofit called LifeHouse where we do transitional housing for uh, pregnant women and their kids who don't have anywhere else to go. Um, so I'm getting to like restart and rewrite uh, that program for us to care for vulnerable women and their kiddos. And Nevaeh and I have moved to another part of Houston to be close to work and school. And so it's just the two of us holding down the fort and she's in pre-K and I get to go do meaningful work every day. Oh, that is so cool. How do you love your job? I mean, how long have you been there then? Um, I just started in July. Oh, so cool. like just short of four months, I think. Lifehouse started 35 years ago as a maternity home um, as part of the pro-life movement to help women who might be um, vulnerable to making the decision to abort. Um, but we have the blessing at this point um, in history to restart and rewrite the program and um, and get to be pro-life for the children she already has and the life of the mom and the education of the mom and all of her sweet kiddos. So uh, some of the old paradigms was to like separate the family because um, in the maternity homes, they would put women in like a communal housing situation, but we are, um, moving to an apartment complex, it looks like, um, so that women can bring their kiddos that they already have with them. Um, and we can keep the family intact and see them through their pregnancy. And then hopefully for two to two and a half years after delivery, um, we're going to get to keep those families on our campus and um, love on them and do practical things like financial coaching and work readiness and skills development um, and a lot of therapy and all of our stuff is trauma informed, which we can talk about. It's one of my new favorite things to understand and study. Um, but also, of course, a big discipleship element. Like I'm so thankful to be working for an executive director and an organization that um, just wants to like be Jesus first and tell people, tell these women that the things that life has dealt them to this point are not wasted in God's economy, but they also don't, aren't the only thing that defines them, that they're image bearers and we get to cultivate new creation. That's kind of the language we started talking about. So yeah, I, I love it so far. We have two clients um, currently who live in a home close by, right down the street from where me and Nevaeh are living, and they both have infants with them. And so, like, 
they come over to dinner at our house once a week and I meet with them. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's great. That is it, incredible. It feels like, yeah, it feels like really meaningful ministry that the Lord has used all of my life experience to prepare me for. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking too. That is so cool. I absolutely love that. Yeah. So it's like, it's such a delight to get to make eye contact with these women and be like, you're here on purpose. Your kids are here on purpose. Let's do this thing together. Yeah. And I love that you're having them over for dinner and stuff too. Uh That's so cool. And I think it's, you have such a unique um, voice for them and that you're also a single mom. And so it's not like they can say to you, I mean, they can for other situations, like you don't get it. But in some ways you do. And like in some ways you are right there where they're at as far as being a single mom and not, you know, and I think that's, that sets you up to build relationships that will be successful for sure. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah, it is. Go ahead. I mean, it is very different in some ways, right? Never been trafficked, never been sexually assaulted, right? um, never been abused by a partner, all the things that they, that a, a lot of the women we serve have these horrific stories. But at the end of the day, I do get to be like, whoo, yeah, that uh, four month sleep regression, that'll get to, yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> reflux, that's, that's a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pediatrician is screaming about tummy time, but they throw up every time you put them on their tummy. I understand. Mm-hmm. Let's try this. Like, right. um, so yeah, there's, there's like a camaraderie in, they know that at the end of the day, it's just me and Nevea at home too. And I'm, you know, getting her to school every day and mm-hmm. trying to just figure out what she's going to decide to like to eat this week. Cause it's definitely different than it was last week. <laughs> oh yeah. We get that at our house too. Oh, it's like word. one week we love PB and J. The next week, yeah. we don't like PB and J. Okay. Oh, so what can we and try? like fall on the floor crying if you suggest that I eat one? <laughs> not, not, not just no, no thanks. I don't want that today. But you made me peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> what? Oh my yeah. gosh, that is so Bless funny. Um, so it's I, I really love that I have permission to be a mom and then a working mom. Um, but it also means that Nevaeh is like growing up in ministry. It's kind of like an MK. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe one of the few benefits of being, being an MK, right, is getting <laughs> to see ministry on the front lines and firsthand and like just kind of knowing. It's one of the reasons like it's been so beneficial for me to be friends with y'all's family for so long. Your parents always challenged me about how well they just loved people and um, I mean, your parents both just naturally have the gift of hospitality and welcome people in both relationally, but also like physically into their home all the time. And um, yeah, just be, being around that, being exposed to that, I think is one of the things that makes it an easier transition um, in adulthood to be like, yes, we welcome people. We just, we like people absolutely that's all, such all an people. example like that she's seeing is so like oh my she's gosh. gonna grow up remembering mm-hmm. that and knowing that that's a value of of her family so this is what we believe and this is how we treat people and I think that's so yeah, good. well 100 percent. like that is gonna shape her who she is for sure just having people in your yeah, house like I'm, that and I love that and just being like you're saying there after school and like everything in your life when your job is missions I feel like then it's like Everything in your all's life is revolving around that, which is exactly the way it's supposed to be. That's amazing. 
yeah, I'm super hopeful that it's going to pay off for her. Um, even in like resiliency, like, mm-hmm. you know, there are days where she doesn't get to pick what we do after school. Um, cause there are other things that we need to do for other people. And I don't, I don't ever want her to be resentful right. of the people that we're serving, but I do want her to, you know, not be a jerk. And that's um, um, <laughs> exactly. And that reminds me actually, <laughs> Hannah, um, told me this, she saw this somewhere. I don't know where, but like the idea of like, sorry, you don't get to pick what we're doing today. This is what we're doing today. Um, like the thing about, um, going to get your oil changed and being like, Oh, I can't take Fletcher to get my oil changed. She's going to hate that. He does not want to sit there and be still and da, 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 da. And Hannah's like, wait, that's okay. Like I'm an adult and I have to go sit and get my oil changed and wait patiently. So he can sit and learn how to wait patiently. But it's like that mindset of like, don't avoid these things that are actually just teaching them how to be a good human. Like how to be patient. and Right. It's like, sometimes you have to wait uh uh without a screen. Like I was like that one day I was like, Oh, some people would be handing them an iPad right now, but I'm just going to make him sit here. He rolled down this window, talked to the guy that was, you know, helping yeah. us. And I'm just like, this is boring, but this is just part of life, you know? Right. It's like, yeah. not, you don't need to teach him about an oil change right now, but teach mm-hmm. him that sometimes like you have to sit and wait on something that, you know, your mom needs to do and you don't, you might not be entertained and you might not like it, but that's right. okay. Yeah. Um, In the um, trauma informed care world, which I started to learn about as a licensed foster parent um, and then realized I needed to learn about as an adoptive parent a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm using professionally quite a bit. Um, so it all like dovetails together in these beautiful, only the Lord would do it that way kind of way. Um, but they, we just talk about resilience a lot. And so sometimes I feel like people overuse resilience when talking, especially about like foster kids. Oh, they're resilient. They'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't need to, you know, protect them from whatever. Kids bounce back. And it's, I'm not, I don't mean resilience like that because that's actually not true and kind of a horrible way to think about humans. Like we can run over them because it'll heal eventually. Um, But there is something to insist building resilience in our kids um, by not always catering to every single whim, you know, asking them to speak kindly when they ask for something as opposed to demanding things. But also like even when they're having meltdowns, like I want to connect with Nevaeh, get on her level, make eye contact, use soothing words, be playful if it hasn't gone too far yet. But I don't always, like, give in to the demand. Uh Right. Like, I I am with you. I am for you. I am your person. I'm here for whatever emotions you have right now. Like, we say in this house all the time, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be mad. But what you do when you're mad is imp- is still important. Mm-hmm. Um, so like like building resiliency in you, you're not always going to get exactly what you want, and that's okay. There's a like, how can we work around it together? Right. It's um, um, and sometimes it's. I'm so sorry I made you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You ate three of them last week. <laughs> so. How about if you get up off the floor and use some kind words and say, thanks, mom, for making me dinner, but can I have whatever else instead? And, like, I mean, quite honestly, 
sometimes I've made her like go through that whole thing. And then I said, um, no, cause all we have right now is peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Right. Mom made it, packed it, brought it in the car. You know, like her first question after school every day is, what'd you bring me? Cause she's usually starving. Uh-huh. Um, and a couple of times it's been, well, I didn't want that snack. I'm like, well, this is what we have. Right. So you can eat this snack and be happy. Um, or you can wait until we get to the next place where there's a snack. Those are, those are your choices. Um, it's okay to be sad, but it's not the snack that you wanted, but we gotta, we gotta work around that in some way where you, we can, but we, yeah. um, we read, we've talked about this on an episode already, but in Andy Stanley and Sandra Stanley's book, they talk about uh-huh. like living in the tension and how like that's part of it because I'm the parent and you're the child and it's not always going to be smooth sailing. And if it is, then you're not really being a good parent. Like there's tension yeah. is, is good. It means you're, you're in the yeah. right roles here. If, if yeah. you're not pleased with every single decision that I make for you. And so yeah. like, bless Nevaeh's little heart. She tells me all the time, I'm not your friend. Oh. <laughs> and she's right. Yeah, um, I tell her all the not time. Yet. That's not how it works, babe. <laughs> exactly. That's like um, <laughs> today we were at my mom's actually, and um, I don't remember what happened. I think Austin said something. Austin's in town right now, and he said something like, "I'm in charge." And Moses said, "No, my mommy is in charge." I'm like, yeah. "That's right." <laughs> Uh, don't forget it Austin Uh Um, (laughs) but just the tension thing is so hard because I think sometimes Mm -hmm. especially when they're you know two and a half like today Moses was screaming and actually it was yesterday screaming and crying about something I think he wanted chocolate chips in a bowl and I was like nope we're not having chocolate chips right now and there was a melt a total meltdown and honestly Mm -hmm. even Murphy was like can't he have the chocolate chips? Like even Murphy's <laughs> trying to just like this tension is uncomfortable, Make and I'm like, stop. it is uncomfortable and it stinks, but it's also like, sorry, that's the decision, and we're sticking with it, and we're just going to be uncomfortable for a few minutes, and in a few minutes, he's going to be good with the yogurt that I offered, and he was. Yeah. But it's just like being willing to like accept that I'm not. It's going to be uncomfortable sometimes, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. One of the things that really helped me with like a big theological thing was that I worked with a guy who I swear he said it in every meeting I ever sat in with him for a couple of years. But so frequently Tim would say, is that a problem to solve or attention to manage? Mm. Oh, wow. Like there, there are a few problems in the world and in our work and in our parenting that we can solve. There's a right answer and a wrong answer. And we have the power to fix it. But those are pretty rare. Most of the time, the things that we bump up against are attention that that just isn't going to go away. Right. We're, we're not going to solve it. We have to learn to live in it. Um, and so there's like a back and forth and a push and pull and a, well, I don't know, how do we do today? <laughs> like, did mm-hmm. we, it, was there more positive than negative or did um especially in parenting a child with trauma um some of the the training that I'm going through right now um with some of my coworkers says that um because of neuroplasticity we can like completely rewire a kid's brain um with just one or two faithful adults in their lives just like one solid caregiver can completely change the trajectory of a child's life after 
they have experienced even complex trauma, which means complex means over and over again and different kinds of trauma. Um, they, our, our brains heal. Um, but really great caregivers and really great parents of children only need to get it right about 25% of the time. Oh, wow. Okay, I just heard something about this recently, this percentage thing and how many times you can mess up and it will still be okay. And it was very encouraging. Yes, (laughs) right? Like Because being a good parent is this tension to hold because being a good parent requires you to be Christ-like. Like, who's the ultimate father? God. And we we are all in the process, if we belong to him, of being transformed into the image of Jesus. As part of what walk in this life is when we're following him. And so I'm not there yet. Like, I am not every single time when my child asks for bread, gonna do the right thing. Right? Right? Y'all know that exchange like Jesus has with his disciples about um, if you being evil parents know how to give good gifts to your children. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just, I just am not capable of getting it right every single time. And when you throw adoption and trauma and some of the other things and singleness mm-hmm. on top of it, like, there are just days where I am at the end of myself and I am not walking in the spirit. And I'm like, kids, <laughs> I cannot take another meltdown. Um, and I don't always respond out of this selfless, like, grace that I wish I did. But it's this tension that I have to manage. Like, I'm not going to solve that problem. Right. I just have to manage. I have to manage it the best I can, which, right, like spiritual disciplines on my part. If I'm walking as closely to Jesus as possible, that's going to solve part of it. Um, and then informing ourselves about our children and their particular backgrounds and what they need from us has been so helpful to, like, just educate myself about how her little brain was wired and what that means for behaviors and how she holds some of those things still in her body. Mm-hmm. It's all fascinating, but um, yeah, we can, we can hold the tension better. Like we're not just stuck, but it is still a tension to, to manage and not necessarily always a problem to solve. Right. And I think that's going to be, you know, like right now it's, over peanut butter and jelly, but in 10 years, it's going to be over not going to the party yeah. I want to go to or not, going, yeah. you know, not being able to drive somewhere or whatever it is. But that tension's never really going to end until they're, you know, adults out of the house. And even then, there might still be some tension. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you think? <laughs> um, so now, before, yeah. I want to talk about really quick because I just want the listeners to know, but I want to know about how. You got into the into foster care. Yeah, I. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sound like a middle school boy. <clears throat> okay, my my voice literally cracked. Okay, oh okay. I had always assumed um, <clears throat> that I would do parenthood in the traditional sense <laughs> and have a husband first, um, but the Lord had just not provided that for me. It wasn't that I had a deep sense of calling to singleness, Um, but it just hadn't happened. And um, I was in full-time ministry, but I had had a long season of like discontent, kind of like I, I kept feeling like the Lord was 
wanting me <clears throat> to do more, but I didn't really know what that was. Um, and kind of in the middle of that season, well, in retrospect, toward the end of that season, um, <clears throat> I got to go on vacation that was kind of the last minute to North Carolina to see y'all. Oh, yeah. um, really, it is very good for me to sit on a beach or in a coffee shop with Whitney Mays. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that's what I wanted to do in the time off that my uh, job had offered me. And it had been a rough season at work. Um, and so actually my <clears throat> employer paid for my flight to come see y'all. Yeah, I can remember that. There. <clears throat> and um y'all weren't y'all weren't still living on topsoil. Um and it was during school. So like <clears throat> there was at least one day when um y'all were all <clears throat> gone out of the house and your mom and I drove out to Topsoil just to sit on the beach. And um your um Good grief. The fifth child um, of the Mays family. Maddie. Was, Maddie was being fostered um, at the time. So <clears throat> I left Houston and flew to North Carolina. I got to meet Maddie for the first time and sit out on the, on the beach in either the fall or the winter. I can't really remember what season it was, but it wasn't like beach weather, which is kind of my favorite time to go to the beach. And um, was telling your mom, like, I just feel like I, the Lord, I'm just discontent in some way, and I can't quite put my finger on it, and I feel like the Lord is calling me to more or something, but I didn't really have language for it. And your sweet mom looked at me and said, well, it's been clear for as long as I've known you that you're supposed to be a mom, so why don't you do that? And I was like, well, because I don't have a husband. <laughs> um <laughs> And she was like, well, so, I mean, if we didn't learn anything else in our time in Africa, we learned there's, there are lots of kids. Um, and it's true here too. There are lots of kids who just need somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's funny because the trip was planned. So <clears throat> last minute, the day maybe the day that I flew out or the day before I flew out, I just like buzzed into a Barnes and Noble bookstore to grab a book to read on the plane. And I had resisted for a long time uh, reading Kisses from Katie, <clears throat> which is a book about a girl who lived and worked in Uganda with orphans. And it had been kind of all the buzz and the Christian subculture for a while. And I just was resistant to making a hero of another white person living in Uganda. <laughs> um, but I grabbed it just to read on the plane. And one of the things in that book um, that she writes about is just rocking babies and making eye contact with kids who maybe haven't had an adult make eye contact with them on that day. Um, and then so that, like, I, you know, broke into ugly crying on the plane on the way and then sat on the beach with your mom for her to say, there are lots of kids that need a person to look after them and take care of them and mother them, and you are suited to do it. 
like you, God has gifted you to do it. And so maybe that's the thing um, that you're like reaching for without being able to really articulate what it was. And so by the time I left y'all's house um, and flew back home, I ugly cried on the plane on the way home too, because I finished the book. (laughs) Um, Because I just felt like the Lord, like what the Lord kept saying was, well, well, you can do that. Right, like, like adopting a child and raising a child for the rest of his or her life was like this massive weight that I could not imagine picking up. But rocking a baby, that I know how to do. Mm -hmm. Or you know, feeding a baby, I I can do that. Um, And if that's what someone needs on that day, then I can do that. Um, So I committed. Um, to myself before I acted um, to pray for six weeks. And because my tendency is to build a consensus of people as opposed to really trying to listen to the Lord, um, I committed to praying by myself for the first three weeks. So I came home from North Carolina and prayed for 21 days. And your mom was the only person that knew that that's how I was praying. Um, I didn't, I didn't allow myself to tell anyone in my family here or any of my closest friends because I wanted, I wanted to feel like I had heard it from the Lord um, and had a sense of what he was asking me to do. Um, Cause also like I look up to your parents and they had done it, right? Like they adopted internationally. They were fostering. They would eventually um, adopt through foster care. Um, so I just, I didn't ever want to try to do something because Dodd and Whitney did or because, um, because it seemed cool when I lived in Africa, I wanted to be sure that, even though your mom said these really kind things to me, that it was what the Lord was saying to me and not just what Whitney was saying to me. Um, So I prayed for three weeks and then started telling people. And it was super helpful, like inviting my closest people to pray with me um, and think about it. And I was most nervous about telling my parents because I thought my, I thought my dad especially was going to have like financial concerns because I wasn't making a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we, the three of us went out to dinner one night and like, I mean, I like, I was like nervous about dry. I, I thought I was like dropping this big bomb on them because it felt so weighty to me. And I'll never forget, like my dad has this whole fork full of salad on his way to his mouth. <laughs> and when I finally spit out, so I think I'm going to become a licensed foster parent. And my dad like paused only long enough to say, <clears throat> well, of course you are. We're surprised you hadn't done it yet. <laughs> and then stuck a whole portful salad in his mouth and like went on with dinner. Like, it, I mean, it just multiple people who were close to me were like, well, duh. That's <laughs> um, so, yes. Cause that's how I feel. Even when you're saying it, I'm like, you're the perfect person. I don't know. Uh-huh. It's just like, oh. but you don't see it in yourself. Everyone sees it in you, I guess. One of the first little girls that I had, I had her for 11 months from the time she was four months old to the time she was 15 months old. And someone at CPS had actually already come to me and said, this is totally going to go through adoption. You should start looking for an attorney. P.S. Her mom is pregnant. 
And if you are in the process of adopting this little girl when mom delivers, then you are the very first person we're going to call from the hospital to come get the newborn. So you start thinking about whether or not you're going to take the second one too. So like I had really turned a corner and thought I was going to be the single mom of girls who were going to be 17 months apart. Oh, wow. Um, and then your mom and your dad and um, Jesse and Maddie came to visit me um, that summer. And literally on my way to meet them, like they landed at the airport, got their rental car and were meeting us at a restaurant here in Houston. I got the call from CPS saying reunification is in 10 days. Oh, it's devastating. Yeah. But right. Like how sweet of the Lord that the people that I walked into the restaurant to and fell apart with was your mother who had done it. Mm-hmm. True. Um, and who was the first person to make eye contact with me and say, you've got what it takes. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah, just go, just go mother them. Like you, you know what to do. You have the chops to do it. Um, so, and then like, while, while y'all's family was here visiting, I had to take her for an overnight visit. So like your mom rode with me to go pick her up from, an overnight visit with her biological family. And then only like days after your parents left, I literally drove this child that I had had for nearly a year in my house during super formative months mm-hmm. um, to a CPS office. And I buckled her into the car seat of someone else's car and watched them drive away. And it's terrible. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was like losing a child and having a miscarriage all in the same day. But foster parents don't really have permission socially to talk about it that way. Like what what we're supposed to say is the foster care system is wonderful and provides a safe place for children while their families need help. And we're always we're always for reunification. And that's always the number one goal. And while that can be true intellectually, Mm -hmm. like while you can understand that it is always the best thing if it's a safe option for a kid to be with some of their biological people and there's tons of studies that show that that it that it is good for people in the long run to know biological people um their own biological people it it's a devastating loss like i had to grieve it like a death um but but there's no funeral there's no one sends sympathy cards not one casserole showed up at my house. Like none of the same like socialization around loss that mm-hmm. we do culturally is done for foster parents after they have experienced that loss. They're just like the expectation from the broader community is, well, yeah, that's how, and like literally a person said this to me in public while the wound was still very fresh. Like the immediate response was, well, isn't that what foster care is for? Yeah, that's well, what you signed up for. Like, I could well, see yeah, that mentality. Jerk. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Exactly. That's awful. Um, I would punch them. That's, that's what you want to say to me right now? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. That, 
yes, that's exactly what foster care is for. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, so, and then and then CPS or your agency or whoever it is is always like chomping us a bit to put another kid there, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, so how long till we can put put somebody else at your house? We got all these kids lined up. Yeah. Um. And I just, I mean, honestly, after that particular loss, I took a long break um, and was like, don't call me, I'll call you. <laughs> and so then when I, when I went back to, to be relicensed, I did just go straight through the state. Um, and then the whole time I became licensed, um, that second time I was licensed foster to adopt. Um, and that just keep like, that just does all the paperwork on the front end and keeps the door open. If a child who is placed in your home becomes available for adoption, you just are already ready from like a legal standpoint. Um, And then Nevaeh. I mean, there were other kids in between there, but um, Nevaeh was my fifth foster care placement. But then like 18 months after I got her, CPS was like, okay, you want to adopt her? And I was like, um, we're functionally homeless and I'm still unemployed. And they're like, it'll be fine. <laughs> oh, okay. We, we feel good about it. <laughs> like, oh, well. Well. So it really, again, right, felt like something the Lord was doing. I was, again, just trying to take care of a kid who needed a person in that season and this is honestly just kind of where I find myself. Like, I was just willing, and this is what the Lord did. Like, I just kept, I just kept being willing, and now I have this little human that I get to hang out with. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's incredible. But it it is the most sanctifying work that I have ever done. <laughs> there, <laughs> Speaking there, of, there is like... nothing else. Yes, that underlines my own sin nature more than trying to mother. And be, and I think that's true for all of us. Um, and I just can't imagine it from the pers- the single mom perspective too, like not having um, or just being the sole person. So what? Um, I feel like there's other single moms listening who might need some encouragement right now. What would be kind of a word for them and just like, in this season that you're in, um, what's helped you or what's been something that would just be um, a word of advice maybe or, or comfort? Um, well, um, yeah, single parenthood is hard. Um, I, and I understand, I know, I yeah, I understand that parenthood is hard full stop. Um, and I so I would never want to like try to, say it's so much harder by yourself like we don't need to compare that's not helpful at all um but I just I just want to say to women who are trying to do it um alone in some sense that first of all you are not alone um if you know Jesus um he co-parents with me (laughs) um Mm. there are very definitely prayers from me that go okay lord um and i and i think i'm talking through it the way maybe partners and spouses do like if if i go this way these could be the consequences or it could go this way and this could happen 
and I just don't want to mess her up. So can you help me with, um, and it's not like, you know, thunder doesn't fall from the clouds and the sky does not open up and no scroll has been left in my house. (laughs) But I do feel like the Lord is just near to us. He just is, he just helps. He's just, he's near to the brokenhearted and he sets the lonely in families. And it's true that she was incredibly lonely and that as a single person, you experience loneliness on a different level. And now we have each other. Mm. Um, and I think the Lord did that for, for both of us. Absolutely. Um, I, I am also an older mom. I was 46 when she was married. Uh, when she was married, good grief. <laughs> I was 46 when she was born. Um, and... So that's like a whole other thing. Like I I feel like if I'm talking to single moms who are younger, like it gets better. Being a single woman gets better in your 40s and 50s than it was in your 20s and 30s. Wow, cool. Because a lot of the pressure is released socially. Like people start leaving you alone about it a little bit more. (laughs) Um, but also you just, like for me anyway, in my 40s especially, I just kind of like became more comfortable in my own skin and could could kind of blow off some of the silliness and some of the ways that I felt inadequate and be like, I mean, this is, this is where we are. So I can either waste time and sit around thinking that I have to have a husband in order to be of some kind of benefit to the kingdom and ultimately the king that I serve, or I can just get to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, honestly, if any, nowadays, if anybody like asks me, like, do you date or what, what's it like? Do you think I'm like, I, like, I'm too busy. I don't, I have stuff to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if the, if the Lord was to bring a partner for me at this point, going to have to kind of hit me over the head with it and get me to slow down long enough to take time to date (laughs) if that was to ever be a thing like I'm not I'm just not pining for it anymore absolutely Um, well this was great I feel like we've been talking forever we need to wrap it up with a fun question (laughs) I hope you're ready (laughs) it stresses me out (laughs) it stresses you out okay um, my question for you, well, I have two questions and you can choose which one to answer if you want. Or you can answer both. Or you can answer both. Um, if there's a product that you're loving lately, or if there's something you've read or watched lately that you really love that you would recommend. Well, um, I honestly, like, because I've listened to all the other episodes, I gave this some thought because okay. I was like, if they put me on the spot, because I mean... <laughs> Y'all used to be cool. I'm way farther removed from cool than y'all are. So it's, you know, not any skincare product um, that I have found recently. But here's the thing. There's a podcast that I listen to regularly as well called um, The Holy Post. Someone was just telling me about this the other day, actually. My friend Becky was just telling me about this. I love it because... It's Phil Vischer, and he's the founder of VeggieTales. Don't yeah. let that scare you wrong. Um, he doesn't have anything to do with VeggieTales anymore, and it's not nearly as annoying as some of those VeggieTales songs used to be. Um, 
but but he's a little bit more he um he and the other co-hosts are in the chicago area and they're just a little more progressive in their biblical interpretation and application than really anybody i can find around here and so like i don't like buy everything they sell hook line and sinker but it is like a good foil to kind of the the water i swim in all the time um but they just did a mini series as well called why i'm still christian um and they interviewed like six people who have kind of publicly had been given a hard time by conservative christianity Uh um like lecrae is one of the interviews um and so they just go to these people who have had other Christians say really terrible things to them and about them online and ask them, why do you still follow Jesus? Oh, cool. And the interviews are really good. Like Russell Moore is one of them, Lecrae. So those two mini series, I think. I love those um, answers. Me too. Because I want to oh, listen to both of them. That's great. Yeah, they're so good. And then something not for publication is your own backyard. Wait, what? It's so creepy. The podcast your own backyard does all listen to that about no, the- is that um it reminds me of the one with rain wilson and the scary stories is it like that <laughs> oh i don't know that one. Oh god don't get me started i can't think about it tonight when i'm back here in a scary backyard <laughs> oh. <laughs> they are scary um, it's about this girl named kristen smart who went missing when she was in college yes eight years did ago start that yeah i never finished Earth it though Okay, well, I girl. love true crime. Okay. Most that of our podcast, listeners do. Yeah. Shout out to oh, Sarah that podcast <laughs> got the, um, That podcast got the case reopened, and they've now convicted the guy. Oh, wow. Incredible. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating. Like, I think he just published the very last one, and it's him interviewing her family. Oh, wow. Like, after the trial, after the sentencing, all the things. Oh, I'd love to listen to that. Okay, cool. But it's. Super creepy. It'll, you'll never want to send your daughters to college. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. One of those. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Uh, Not one I want to endorse publicly, probably, but so good. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to your own backyard. I'm going to write it down. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, Nat, thank you so much. Yes. This is such good stuff, and I feel like that so many people are going to be encouraged and um, I know I was, and also inspired. Yeah, to, and maybe we'll have some new foster parents out of this. I know. Never know what the Lord's yeah. doing, or just even like responding to what the Lord's calling you to do. Like yeah. even if it's you know yeah. whatever that is in your life right now, I just feel like that's the lesson to take is like listen to you know take the time to be still and to pray and to listen and and to figure out what it is He's calling you to, and then just take that next step. Yes, and I just listened to a podcast, and they kept saying just take the next, whatever the next yes is. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know where yeah. this is leading, but I'm going to keep saying yes. Um, and yeah. I, I just think that's such a good lesson for all of us. A good reminder. Yeah. Cause I mean, honestly, right. If on the beach that day on Topsail Island, if I had thought about having a four year old that I, that has my last name, right? Like if, if the Lord had laid it all out in front of me all at one time, I would have, flips my stuff there would have been no way but i write like what he said over and over again was just just do like what just do what you can do like mm-hmm. you, you can do stuff just do what you can do 
Um, and then he gets us to where we need to be for the, for the bigger stuff. Yeah. Right. That's so good. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next week.